Members of U.S. Congress have recently introduced the Taiwan Democracy Defense Land Lease Act of 2023, which authorizes Washington to land or lease defense equipment to Taiwan when needed. It is in the model of America's military aid to Ukraine. Premier Chen Jianren on Sunday thanked the U.S. for standing with Taiwan and maintaining peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific region. Chen says that Taiwan needs to be able to fight in order to prevent war. Let's hear what he had to say. The consensus of democratic nations all over the world is that we hope that the Taiwan Strait and the region can maintain peace and stability. It is only by preparing for war that we can avoid a war. It is only by being able to wage a war that we can prevent a war. So we're very happy to see this and grateful that we can see that the U.S. has made these related decisions. The Lend-Lease Act actually may mean that warships that have been decommissioned or mothballed in the United States can be given to Taiwan in a Lend or Lease format so we can carry out our own self-defense. The aim is to raise the quality and quantity of Taiwan's weaponry used in self-defense. In fact, U.S. President Joe Biden has said that the U.S. will help defend Taiwan. At the same time, it's been reported that the U.S. may install a stockpile of munitions in Taiwan. This would allow the U.S. military in a time of crisis to arrive in Taiwan without bringing lots of weaponry. From weaponry to munitions, as well as up to 2 billion U.S. in annual grants under the National Defense Authorization Act for the fiscal year 2023. It is clear that the U.S. is standing by Taiwan to resist China's ambitions to stage an invasion. The National Union of Chinese Medical Doctors Association, an organization devoted to traditional Chinese medicine, held an event on Sunday that was attended by Vice President Lai Qingde. In a move analysts say was aimed at courting voters ahead of a presidential bid. Lai praised the nation's practitioners of traditional Chinese medicine for the care they had provided during the COVID pandemic. In particular, he praised a Taiwanese herbal formula, an RICM-101, that has shown promise at preventing severe COVID symptoms. Lai said when he had been diagnosed with COVID in the past, he drank the concoction and his respiratory system felt much better. Vice President Lai Qingde attended an event on Sunday called National Medicine Day where he thanked traditional Chinese medicine doctors for their contributions. When he was diagnosed with COVID last year, he drank NRICM 101, a Taiwanese herbal formula, and said he found it extremely effective. After I took it, my lungs and my respiratory system felt totally different. I've personally witnessed the real efficacy of NRICM 101. I'm here today to thank you. Lai also stressed that in the future, Taiwan needed to continue with its innovations in technology and medical care relating to Chinese medicine. In 2022, everyone did well, so the government stepped up its efforts and in 2022 proposed a plan to revitalize Chinese medicine. At the moment, most of the ingredients of Chinese medicine are mainly from China. I think we have so much fallow farmland, so in fact we can produce Chinese medicine components by ourselves. 
Lai's praise for traditional Chinese medicine comes ahead of the DPP's party primary registration period, in which Lai is reportedly planning to register on Tuesday for next year's presidential election. Lai would not comment on this when questioned by the media. The DPP's Central Executive Committee recently passed an integrity clause. Its recommendation is that incumbent city councillors should not abandon their posts to run as lawmakers. There were varying opinions about this among the DPP's different factions, but some DPP lawmakers voiced their support. We hope to have a more routine approach to generational change in the party, but we also don't want to damage the rights and interests of voters in some districts. We will deal with these issues based on the principles of integrity and consistency. DPP lawmaker Hong Shenhan said the DPP was improving its ethical standards and demonstrating its determination to reform, to avoid harming the rights and interests of ordinary people. The annual Tour de Taiwan cycling race began on Sunday. This year saw more riders compete than in past years. One Taiwanese national team cyclist said that despite years of experience, he still felt the pressure of competition. Taipei Mayor Jiang Wan'an also came out for the competition's opening day to cheer on the national team. The starting horn sounds and the riders are off. Sunday was the first day of the annual Tour de Taiwan road cycling race and riders from around the world are taking part, hoping to gain points ahead of the next Olympics. This is my third time taking part in a cross-island race, but a bit of pressure is inevitable. There's also a lot more people taking part this year. Taiwan cycling team riders gave it their all on the first day completing eight laps along Taipei's Renai Road for a total of 83.2 kilometers. Taipei Mayor Jiang Wan'an was there to cheer them on. They passed by the traffic circle on Renai Road, the former Air Force headquarters, Taipei East Gate and the NTU Hospital. These are all very well-known historical and cultural sites in Taipei. Of course, I'm here to cheer on Taiwan's team, and I believe they will perform well. On day one, riders got a glimpse of beautiful sights in Taipei, the first of five race locations. Other locations include Provincial Highway No. 3, spanning three localities between Shinju County and Taichung. It's full of challenges. Every scenario is different, but all are important to the competition. This is cyclist Feng Junkai's 14th time competing, and this time he's leading the national team. Lots of fans and family members of the team's riders have also come out to show their support. I remember last year it was Li Tingwei and his team. This year Feng Junkai has joined them. There are lots of riders this year, lots of national team cyclists, but there's still a chance for victory. We came up from Nantou for the race. We will likely follow Lu all the way down to the last race in Kaohsiung. Holding handmade signs, supporters cheer on Taiwan's cycling team from the sidelines, confident their team will ride to victory. On our Sunday special report, tens of thousands of people were victims of human rights injustices during the several decades of Taiwan's white terror. Some of the sites of those injustices have been preserved. 
One example, the Jingmei Military Detention Center in New Taipei now forms part of Taiwan's National Human Rights Museum. However, legal complications have prevented dozens of other sites from receiving similar recognition and protection. One victim of political persecution, Ching Himsan, says that preserving these sites is important so that society can learn from its past mistakes. Let's hear from Ching and others who share his perspective on historical preservations. Walking into the old military court at the Jingmei White Terror Memorial Park in New Taipei, Ching Him San recalls 40 years ago when he was on trial there, a memory that still haunts him. That day I was standing here and I was trembling and panicked. Finally the judge spoke and he said that I was young and ignorant. He said I came to this land and did something that was disappointing to the ROC, but that my actions did not warrant the death penalty. Instead, the court decided to sentence me to 12 years imprisonment. Only 20 years old at the time, Chen had come to Taiwan from Malaysia to study at National Changgong University. As Chen frequently visited the U.S. Information Service Tainan building to read books in its collection, he became the prime suspect when the building was bombed in 1971 and was brought to Taipei for interrogation. Writer Li Ao and independence activist Xie Zhongmin came forward 10 days later and claimed responsibility for the bombing, but Chen was not given back his freedom. I asked why that was the case and they said it was simple. It was because I was a student from overseas. They said nobody in Taiwan knew who I was and even though they had no case, they could find some other reason for locking me up. They said they weren't planning to let me go and if they decided to throw me into the sea or to throw me in jail and shoot me, nobody would care about it. Whatever they did with me, they would still get their reward. From the 1950s to the 1980s, the White Terror was a period of nearly four decades of political repression. During that period, more than 16,000 innocent people like Chen were forced to whittle away their youth behind bars. I was once locked up in this room. Across from this wall was Zhuangjing High School. When I was locked up in there, the thing I found most difficult was that I could hear the school principal making his morning announcements every day. I would think to myself, I'm just one person and I haven't done anything wrong. Why am I in here, crouched down in this prison cell? The Transitional Justice Commission has classified sites like this, where large-scale violations of human rights were committed, as historical sites of injustice. In the early stage, we focused on the victims and then on the archives. After that, spaces begin to emerge. So we equate this historical sites of injustice with a comprehensive understanding of the history of authoritarian rule. These sites are very important, indispensable elements of our work. 
Historical sites of injustice are spaces imbued with history, and they are the last piece of the puzzle for people to understand what happened during the White Terror era. However, it wasn't until 2017 that these spaces were finally recognized under the Act on Promoting Transitional Justice, finally allowing work to begin on preservation and reconstruction. It's been more than 70 years since the 228 incident, and at least 50 or 60 years since the White Terror era. From what we know, the majority of historical sites of injustice, more than half of them lack any structural remains. Some have only part of their structure remaining. Very, very few of these sites have fully intact buildings. The Transitional Justice Commission was established in May 2018, and in four years, it identified 107 historical sites of injustice, 42 of which have been publicly announced. The remaining 65 were handed over to the Ministry of Culture to handle in May 2022. However, preserving these historical sites has not proven easy. Over here, you can see this well-known five-star hotel. Decades ago, in the 1950s, that was the site of the detention center used by the notorious Taiwan Garrison Command. In Taipei Ximending shopping area, there are also hidden ruins of detention centers used by the Taiwan Garrison Command. In the 1950s, secret executions of detainees were often heard here. From this theater building and this restaurant to this famous bookstore next door and this mixed residential and commercial building, this whole block spanning more than 2,000 ping was a historical site of injustice during the martial law era. Despite this bloody history, traces of these injustices have all but disappeared at many of the sites. This period of history was once a taboo subject in Taiwanese society. And in the early period following the end of martial law, there was no concept of preserving historical sites and cultural assets. After the military moved out, the sites were quickly auctioned off to the private sector. Memories of this period of history, originally part of the collective memory of the public, are now fragmented and broken. How do you take these sites, which are now occupied by shopping centers and hotels, and restore them? Having those sites once again enter the public consciousness and become part of our history, that's a very difficult process. Preservation work at sites that retain their original appearance is also often difficult due to legal obstacles. The former Ankan Guesthouse Detention Center opened in January 1974 and had been used to interrogate political prisoners from the Kaohsiung incident of 1979. After martial law was lifted, the site was used as a storage facility for the investigation bureau, but was left half-abandoned. The site was classified a historical site of injustice in 2022, but officials have not been able to proceed with preservation work. It's 
Online content creators go into the abandoned Ankong site all the time. There are at least a dozen times that we know of. They also destroy things when they're in there. Nevertheless, the new Taipei government refuses to grant temporary historical site recognition. Under these circumstances, the site will just keep getting destroyed. The Ankang site circumstances are a result of current laws. Although the Act on Promoting Transitional Justice stipulates that historic sites of injustice should be preserved and restored, it doesn't specify steps for implementing that. Therefore, officials currently still rely on the Cultural Heritage Preservation Act to seek protection for these sites as cultural assets. However, sites used in the past as prisons often do not meet the standards of cultural assets review committees to be considered cultural assets. From a structural point of view, since the Ankang site wasn't finished until the 1970s, it's still not that old. It's also not a particularly beautiful building. It was built to detain political prisoners, so they just threw it together. So there's really nothing there in terms of cultural assets, building materials, or architectural style, or vocabulary that is worth preserving. Another challenge is that the review committee is designated by the local government. Therefore, when historical sites are located in development zones, preservation concerns will conflict with economic concerns. In such cases, committees are even less likely to grant these sites preservation status. People like myself, we are grateful for those who held on to this land back then. That's a big help to us, as it gives us the opportunity to stand here and tell others what happened to us in the past. The National Human Rights Museum opened in 2018, and from that year to 2021, the museum's Jingmei location received more than 420,000 visitors. In August 2022, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited the museum's Jingmei branch, and Chin served as her personal guide. Hi. I was arrested in 1971, so if you come over here to the nameplates for 1971, you can find my name. I was imprisoned for 12 years, from 1971 to 1983. The road toward transitional justice is a long one. Now, 40 years after his release from prison, Chin has finally received his diploma from National Changgong University. He is still unsure who should be held responsible for his wrongful arrest. For now, all he can do is to keep visiting Jingmei and telling his story. I do this not to express my emotions, but because I hope that my story will help people better understand these things. I hope my story can extend to the stories of other victims, and that all those stories linked together can become a lesson for society. These sites are places to witness this negative past, so we can't let them be destroyed so easily. Over 7,000 names are listed on the monument at the National Human Rights Museum. Not all of those victims found justice, but as long as historical sites of injustice are preserved, the stories can continue to be told. Turning to the weather, just when you thought you could put your, your jacket away, another cool spell is ahead. Meteorologists say another continental cold air mass will arrive. 
Temperatures are expected to start sliding downwards on Sunday night, with the coldest period between Monday evening and the early hours of Tuesday morning. It could be as low as 10 degrees in northern Taiwan, while other regions could see big gaps between daytime and nighttime temperatures. The weather is expected to warm up on Tuesday. Let's hear from the CWB. On the 13th, the temperature throughout the day may drop, making it colder. It is expected that this will continue until the early hours on the 14th. By daytime on the 14th, you will see temperatures continuing to rise. In the period from the 15th to the 17th, there will be relatively stable weather conditions. As for rainfall, on Sunday night, it's expected to increase in the northern and eastern regions, with localized brief showers. From Monday to Tuesday, there could be sporadic rain in the eastern regions, while there could be sporadic light drizzle in the central and southern regions, along with mountainous regions in the north. From Wednesday to Friday, the easterly winds will usher in rain on windward-facing areas in Taiwan's east, while it will be sunny and pleasant weather on the western side.